Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So, I had such an amazing time last week being able to to sit here and hear from and, and learn about people that are a part of our family. People that I have known for, you know, in some cases, as long as I've been alive. <laughs> um, and yet there's still new things for, for me to learn. And, and I look forward to next month as we, we get this next group that's going to be participating. And I, I want to share a story with you this morning. So for those of you that don't know, I have a, an older sister and she's, I think she's like seven years older than me. Um, you know, through most of our, our growing up, we um, really kind of grew up as two single age, or, you know, single children because of that division between the, the two of us, because of that age gap between the two of us. A seven-year-old and a baby don't really have a whole lot in common to, <laughs> to go after. Um, you know, as we got older, there was the prerequisite amount of torment that, you know, should exist between an older sister and uh, a brother. And there is this, uh, as we, I was kind of preparing yesterday, I was thinking about conflict. And, I, you know, really there aren't really any uh, areas of conflict that I look back at and they say, oh man, yeah, that was, that was a big one. But there is a, a text message that, that my sister pulled up for me the, uh, last week and she reminded me of this one. So let's just put it out. I'm not keeping track of wrongs, okay? So <laughs> uh, in our family, my, my mom, you know, is very conscientious about, you know, what she, she fed us as kids growing up, and, and, you know, sugar cereal was, was something that we did not have as kids. We got the plain old regular Cheerios, and, and that was what you got, except on the first day of summer. You got your summer cereal, where you got to go to the grocery store, and you got to pick one box of whatever cereal you, you wanted, and so you know, typically the way you did that was based on how much color was, was in that cereal, right? <laughs> so the, the more colorful, the more marshmallows that were involved, the, obviously that was the better choice, right? And so um, at one point, my summer cereal that I, I picked was Lucky Charms. And so, and my sister picked her cereal and they were both in the cabinet. And I think my mom and I, you know, went away to do something or Something happened, and we came back, and the next morning, I was so excited to have my, my summer cereal, and I, I go to, you know, put it into my bowl, and every single marshmallow has disappeared from the Lucky Charms. <laughs> my sister had taken all of the marshmallows and eaten them out of the Lucky Charms. <laughs> Conflict. <laughs> Conflict exists. And I, I don't remember what the change was. I'm sure my you know, parents being you know, the kind people that they are recognized that, well, maybe he should have a different, because it just became Cheerios at that point, right? <laughs> and I, I was right back to where I had started. 
So, you know, maybe, I, I don't remember what the resolution was, but, but my sister was making, I think she was making like Rice Krispie treats or something with Lucky Charms, and she had sorted all the marshmallows out, and she sent me a text message yesterday, does this bring back memories? Um, I said too soon. Um, but the moral of the story is that in any family, there will be conflict. In any family, regardless of how great the uh, relationships are, there will be conflict. If you choose to invest yourself here at Wood Street Chapel, in this church family, I guarantee you that there will be conflict. I guarantee it. When people with different experiences, with different backgrounds, with different lives that they're living in, different opinions, choose to live life in close proximity to one another, it is inevitable that there will be conflict. In any family, conflict is unavoidable, but in the family of God, it must be dealt with, or else it will be destructive to the mission and the purpose that God has for us. This morning, as we make our way back to the book of Philippians, and we're moving to to chapter four, we actually have three more weeks after this week. We're going to see firsthand, as Paul singles out, two disagreeing church members, where he is very clearly instructing them, and very clearly instructing us, how to deal and reconcile with conflict when it comes. So our adult Sunday school class is going through learning about the foundations of Pentecostal theology. And, and the first section that we have been going through is touching on the, the Bible. It's touching on uh, Scripture. And that Scripture is the le- living, breathing Word of God. That Scripture, is the word that we learned today was inerrant, that, that it's not wrong. There, there aren't errors, there aren't inconsistencies that exist in the Word of God. And so think about how amazing, what an honor it would be for your name to show up in the Word of God, to be called out, as, uh, to have some specific you know, aspect of your life showcased for centuries Now, what if you were called out for something that wasn't good? (laughs) What if your name showing up in the word of God was because you had done something wrong? How does that feel? (laughs) Over the last three letters, there are three chapters that we have gone through in the the book of Philippians, in this letter that, that Paul is writing He has talked about really almost nothing else except for how much he loves this church, how much he loves these people, how much he is excited and proud to to see what they're doing. And now at the beginning of chapter four, it swerves (laughs) into this correction of two people that he calls out. Like he doesn't even just say, hey, there's two of you and you know who you are. He, He gets straight down to exactly who needs to hear what. In Philippians four, verses one through three. 
says, therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So that's, that's the section. And you're like, well, that's not too bad. <laughs> but obviously something went wrong to where he needed to talk about it. And, and again, we're, we're going to talk about this so yet again. Where is Paul? In jail. So something is going on with these two ladies that Paul, in a different city, in jail, is hearing about them. And I, I go back to that Bob Newhart skit, stop it. Just, just stop it. Don't, don't do that anymore. Sitting in a prison cell in a different city, and yet I, Paul, am still aware of the conflict that exists. And it's stopping the work of God from moving forward in that place. It's hindering what God has planned for you as an individual and for you as a church. Let's imagine again for just a moment that you're coming to church on a Sunday. You're coming to, to praise and to worship God. You've been looking forward to it all week you are, are recognizing that God has moved mightily in your life and you can't wait to come and to, to give him the glory. You have read your daily allotted amount of scripture that you were supposed to read. You, you prayed for the daily allotted amount of hours or minutes that you were supposed to pray. You listened to the required worship playlist to get ready for church that was, you know, three Chris Tomlin songs, two Jesus culture, and one like 15 minute long uh, Bethel uh, worship song. And you have arrived to church and you sit in your seat where you, you always sit only to find that the person you can't stand is sitting in the seat next to you. And you, you consider moving for a moment, but then if you, if you move, then it's not your seat. And you've kind of figured out exactly how the lights works. You know, well, other than today, you're normally able to see the words exactly the way you're supposed to see them. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> your, your normal routine is, is all messed up. And then you realize there's a decorative screen that's in the back of the room. It's one of those trifold things. You just get that. You set that between yourself and the person that's right next to you. Problem solved. Back to worshiping God. Does that seem healthy? No. That, that, it's, it's funny when, when you say it out loud, right? It is, it's funny when you take the action and the thoughts of the heart and you put it into the physical world, but the truth and the fact of the matter is we're, that's absolutely happening. As much as we don't want it to be, as, as much as we think it, it sounds ridiculous, I can guarantee you that's 100% happening in churches across this country, across the world. 
I know it never happens here, but in other places, that, that is something that, that comes up. And for a warning, if I see a screen show up, I will come off this stage. <laughs> so obviously, we, we aren't actually putting screens up between people. I mean, that, again, that's silly. That's weird. But are we doing it in other ways? Are we allowing conflict to exist between one another so that there are those barriers that exist? It says, I, I, I recognize that you're sitting here, but I'm going to do everything I can to avoid saying anything other than good morning to you today. Conflict has to be addressed. One of the the most important rules or agreements that, that I don't know if it's necessarily unspoken with it between Kaylee and I is that if there is conflict that exists between us that it is addressed before the end of the day. And that's not to say that, that we go to bed and, and we're problem-free, trouble-free, that we both agree 100% with whatever the other person has done, but by the end of the day, we are to be at a point where we can abide with one another. Because conflict, if you allow it to grow, if you allow it to to fester and you allow it to just remain in your head and you just dwell and, and pretty soon you're building on it and you're tacking on all of these other things and it just becomes this unbearable monster that steals your joy, that steals your, your relationship with that other person. And so as we go through the the word of God this morning, as we receive from the Lord, is there a barrier that exists between you and any other follower of Christ? Because if there is, it needs to be dealt with. And I'm just gonna say this right now, and I can say this because I'm not talking to any individual person. It being dealt with doesn't mean you come to me and talk about it. I am more than happy to walk with you in repentance and reconciliation. I am not the teacher. And, you know, I, I can see that with the, the third and fourth grade that my wife teaches. That I hear about these, these constant reportings that happen. Of, this person did this, and, and, well, did you talk to them? Well, no, well, go talk to them. <laughs> did you ask them to stop? Well, no, well, just tell them to stop. If there is an area of division that exists between you and another follower of Christ, fix it. Don't let it be something that continues to fester. Because if it does, how are you going to to point to that relationship and say that relationship right there is an example of what it means to follow Jesus? That's, that's the, the bar, that's the standard that we're supposed to have. The relationship that I have with this person is reflective of the love that Jesus has for me and the reflective of the love that I have for him. We got some work to do. So the, the model that we see Paul following here is actually a very reasonable model for us to follow. What does he do first? He affirms the church He affirms the the people that are reading this letter. God not only made us his children, but he made us 
his, each other's siblings. If, if we are saying that we believe that God is our Father, that we are privileged to be called children of God, then that means we're related. And that, that common denominator does bring unity, but it can also bring some squabbles every once in a while. And so as part of the family of God, we're not only to have one Father, But we're supposed to be a, a family together. And, and sometimes what happens with church, church lowercase c within the four walls, sometimes this becomes a club. Sometimes it, it's easy for church to become just the building, the place where we go. But the fact of the matter is church is a family. And a church should be marked by their enduring love for one another. What does enduring love look like? What's that? Bearing, Bearing with one another. Yeah, that, that, I, I think that was in the Bible somewhere. <laughs> Is it just tolerating? No. It's, it's not just tolerating one another or, or just rolling your eyes at me, oh, there's Jeff again. No. We're called to love one another. And there's a pretty specific way we're called to love one another. What's John 13, 34 say about that? John 13, 34 says, a new command, not a suggestion, A new command I give to you, love one another. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, by through the love that you show to one another, all of the world will know that you're mine. Love one another. Do you think loving one another extends to our social media posts about one another? Do you think loving one another extends to the words that I say maybe when that other person isn't around? Now, here's the biggie. Do you think loving one another pertains to the thoughts and the the feelings that I have in my heart that nobody else hears? Love one another. Conflict moved us, moves us away from love. It creates deficiencies. It creates jealousy. It creates insecurity. How can I show up to a place where I'm professing to, to proclaim the love of Christ that has been shown to me that I'm now, now working to show to other people when that same love of Christ is not being correctly shown to me by other people? That was a lot to follow, but how are we supposed to say that this this is the truth, this is what we're supposed to do if the, the place where everybody that's professing to believe the same thing can't even do it? So the first thing that Paul does is he points out, I love you. 
You are my beloved. And I mean, he spent three whole chapters of his letter saying, I mean, for all we know, this one verse right here could have been the entire reason that he wrote the, the letter of the Philippians. <laughs> How crazy would that have been if he's like, man, I need to tell off these two people. And in order to do that, I need to get everybody ready for why I have the moral authority and the grounding to be able to call you out about it. And so I'm going to spend three chapters of this letter. I don't think that's what's going on. There was a lot of other important stuff that was being shared there. Okay, don't, don't get me wrong. But I'm going to spend three whole letters affirming who you are in Christ, who we are as a church, who we are, what relationship exists, the love that binds us together. Because in that love, I love you too much to let you do something to destroy what Christ is doing in this place. That's the relationship we're supposed to have. And so if there is a conflict that exists between us, and church, I'm not coming here this morning saying, man, there is some relationships that we need to fix today. I have nothing set in my mind today, okay? I'm not gonna come talk to you afterwards. It's like, oh, Matt read my laundry again. No, that's not what this is about. Laundry mail, I think, is the appropriate saying there. Um, Hopefully your laundry doesn't need to be read. Um, But the fact of the matter is, If we start from a basis of love, if we start with that presumed positive intent, if I know that that the person that's writing to me to correct me, if I know that that person loves me, that person loves me the way Christ loves me, if I know that that is true, then if he has correction, if he has discipline to bring about in my life, then, then I'm going to trust and believe and know that that is from Christ as well. Yeah. Um, Colossians 2.13, um, it does say, yeah, sorry. Um, oh my goodness, I'm sorry. <laughs> Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have, have against one another. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, I, and I think it's actually in Philippians 1 as well, where he says, bear, <laughs> bear with one another. Yeah. And so after he affirms, after he shares the, the love that he has for them as a church, as a, a group of people, he calls it out. He doesn't say, so I'd like you just to all, you know, take a minute and think about how you're acting. And, and if the Spirit moves you, um, maybe that's an area in your life that you could change. Maybe pray about it. Um, if you maybe want to come to Sunday school and, and we can just kind of see if, if something happens. No, he says, you and you stop doing the thing that you're doing. Isn't that kind of refreshing? Just to have that, that direct approach of stop doing the thing that is causing damage to your life. We're supposed to be at a point where we can do that. Imagine if we were sitting together this morning and I started reading a letter from Pastor Greg. And, and it was a letter that was just talking about how much he loved us and, and how much he, he cared for us and, and everything that he was excited about that was happening within the church. And then as part of the letter, he said, but Carolyn, <laughs> stop doing that thing. 
And this is why. The thing that you're doing is creating a, a, a problem within the church. It's stopping the church from being able to move forward in what God has called us to do. If, if Greg sent that, I can tell you, first off, that'd be kind of awkward, right? We're all sitting here like, well, this is a really like warm and fuzzy letter until we got to that part. But I would hazard a guess to say, because we know who Greg is, because we know Greg loves us, Greg loves this church, and we know Greg has a heart for Jesus, that we would have to stop and look at what he said in that correction and say, is, is, there, is there truth in this? Is, this? is this real? Is this something that we need to take a step to correcting? And hopefully we would, Right? It's not, no, I I hear that correction that was incredibly embarrassing in front of the entire church, but I'm going to ignore it. And you can't really ignore it because at that point, we all know. (laughs) At that point, everyone else is aware of the thing that needs to be changed. Did Paul care that he may have offended these two people? I think he did. I think he cared about it, but I think what it came down to is his love that he had for these two people outweighed his desire for them to be comfortable. That's where we have to get. The love that I have for every single one of you has to outweigh my desire for you to be comfortable. My desire for you to move forward in the walk that you have with Jesus in a healthy and and complete way has to outweigh my desire for you to be comfortable. Because comfort is temporary. Our time here on this earth is temporary. Relational conflict among Christians is dangerous. It's dangerous and it has to be addressed. And so Paul calls on both parties specifically. You notice he, he says that he wants each of them to, to take action, that he wants each of them to address the situation. He doesn't name them both and say, I, I want both of you to do this. I want you to do this and I want you to do this and I want it to get fixed. What does this correction show us? It shows how much Paul loves the church. It shows when, when we go out of our way to bring discipline, to bring correction, if that's done the correct way, it shows just how much we love. There are times when I have to discipline my children and my heart breaks. But in the midst of that discipline, I'm able to share with you, I'm doing this because I love you. I love you too much to let you go forward and continue this behavior. If you look back at Paul's life, Paul had had interactions with Barnabas and, and John Mark. And they went on these mission trips, and, and one of those mission trips did not go so well. It, in fact, it went so poorly that John Mark just decided to leave Paul and Barnabas in the midst of that journey. And he, he comes home, and Paul's like, well, never again are, are you going to be coming with us. And to the point where the, on the next trip, Barnabas is saying, hey, let's try bringing John Mark with us again. And Paul's like, no way. 
No way. And there's such a disagreement that exists that Paul and Barnabas go their separate ways. They split up. As I was reading this particular epistle, this letter that Paul was writing to the Philippians, I I was wondering, is it possible that he was looking back at this conflict in his life, that he was maybe looking back to a time in his life where there was conflict, and maybe that conflict didn't get addressed in such a healthy way, where he just decided to sweep that one under the rug and say, I'm not dealing with that today. We have those, yeah? There are times where it's like, man, I'm just not dealing with that person in that relationship again. Is it possible that Paul is looking back at the conflicts that he has seen in his life that have created division, that have created potentially unhealthy relationships, recognizing that that can't happen here in this place? Let's ask a question. Have I been aggressive in my life? Have I been twisting the truth? Have I refused to give the benefit of a doubt? Have I hindered reconciliation through my own stubborn attitudes? Have I failed to take responsibility? Am I perpetuating this conflict through my own laziness? And as we identify those barriers that exist, as we identify those things that maybe we didn't even know were there in the first place, we start taking them down. We start dismantling them because we recognize that's not what it means to live a healthy Christian life. There's a very, very important question for us to answer this morning. Do I want to be right more than I want to be reconciled with that person? You have to answer that question in any conflict. Is it more important for me to be right than it is to create right relationship with that person? Well, Matt, you don't understand. I am right. Okay. There is more at stake here than just being right. And so the the final step that Paul gives us, he's talking about after you have affirmed them and shown them that there is love and after you have kind of called them out, then you help them. This isn't like, you know, hey, let's just brand them with, you know, the, the letter A or whatever and send them out on their way, you know, do better next time. No, we need to help them. Some hurts are so deep that there has to be a mediator. There has to be someone that is able to come in and say, this is, this is how we come together. It's interesting. We talked in Sunday school about how sometimes it's important to go back to the original languages that some of these scriptures are written in because when you do, you start to see relationships that maybe you didn't think existed. And the word that Paul uses when he says, help these women, is actually the same word that is used when they're talking about Jesus being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. So 
arrest these women, like hold them down, like restrain them, is how it's translated. Sometimes helping isn't all warm and fuzzy. For those of you that have a cat where you have to give them medicine, (laughs) yeah? Not cool, <laughs> especially if you have one that's maybe a little more rambunctious. Uh, we had, when I lived with my mom and dad, we had a, a cat named Louie, and he was born in, like, the Eureka Power Plant on the same day as, like, the 1990-whatever earthquake. It showed. Um, you know, he would like stare down hawks like out of his little like uh, spot where he was sleeping outside. Like he was just a, a beast. And so there was a time where I think he got like kicked in the head by a horse and we had to like, it did something to his eye and we had to put like drops or like we had to use like IT to like, you know, soak his eye. Cats don't really get into that. And so just imagine this cat that just like clamps onto any appendage that he can get to and is just like crawling up to get to your face. That you are now like, I'm wrapping him in a towel so that only his head is out and like holding that and like pinning it against my body and then taking like the, the compress that you have to put and like you have to hold it on his eye, not for like 20 seconds, for like five minutes. helping (laughs) sometimes doesn't feel like helping especially for the person being helped sometimes it feels like what are you doing to me I love you too much to let you stay the way that you are We love each other enough to get involved in the mess if we need to. And, you know, I made the joke of, you know, if, if you are in the midst of conflict, resolving that conflict doesn't mean coming and bringing it to me. In this particular situation, I am absolutely 100% always available. If you need help in, in bringing and putting this relationship back together, well, let's do it. If there are other people in this church body, even better. We love each other enough to get involved in the messy parts of our life. And notice that after he calls out the conflict, it didn't like magically blot out their salvation. (laughs) It wasn't like all of a sudden they were like, well, because you had this disagreement that I had to call out from jail, you are now, you know, no longer a part of the church. We're not going to consider you saved or anything like that. No, he specifically references very intentionally after he calls them out that their name is written in the book of life. This isn't about an individual's eternal destination. It's their ability to act as a witness to the love of Christ in the immediate present time. If we are going to spend eternity together, we have to start learning how to live with one another now. (laughs) So the question... Do you want to be remembered for allowing your personal conflicts to hinder the work of Jesus? (laughs) Because that's what these two ladies got. And the thing is, is I I am confident that I'm going to meet these two ladies in heaven and I'm going to be like, 
Yep, that was us. But we don't know anything else about what what impact they had. For all we know, they could have gone on to to lead lives that, that shaped all of history. They could have. But this was the point that, that needed to be called out. If there are areas in your life where reconciliation is needed, do it before the day is done today. It can't be a, oh, I'll pray about it. It can't be a, well, let me see what the Spirit leads. The Spirit's already told us what we're supposed to do. Okay, this, this isn't like we get to be touchy-feely about it. The Spirit has said, if there is a problem, fix it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time. God, we ask that you would reveal to us very, very specifically what areas exist in our life where there is conflict. What relationships exist that need to be restored. God, I have no interest at all in my the problem areas in my relationships detracting from my ability to witness who you are and what you've done. God, we love one another too much to allow these types of behaviors to continue. God, help us all to be confident in the love that we have for one another and the love that you have for us. God, help us to use wisdom when it comes to addressing these particular areas. Help us to recognize that if if someone comes and is addressing an area of conflict with us, that it's out of love. It's out of a desire to see wholeness within the body of Christ. And help us to receive it as such. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 